And even going back to the emotions, if there's any one question that frames, and I wouldn't have said this 10 years ago, it's one of those things like talking to people where you just, it's just this consistent, very robust thread. If there's any one question that defines how we relate to change more, it is, are you seeing any given change? And again, personal, professional, organizational, civilizational, <laughs> we get a lot of flux these days. Are you seeing a given change from a place of hope or fear? hope or fear and we can add into that you know mm. excitement enthusiasm anxiety you know but hope mm. or fear we do not talk about that we do not ask that question very often and yet it shapes and colors and determines so much else hi michelle florendo here and welcome to ask a decision engineer Listen in and find out how to untangle big decisions with less stress and more clarity. So often, in the midst of change or the unknown, where our mind goes first is, what are we going to do? But what if the key to being able to navigate change and uncertainty was less about doing, but rather a way of being? Today, I'm in conversation with April Rin, a futurist, speaker, and author of the book, Flux, Eight Superpowers for Thriving in Constant Change, where she shares what she has found is the most effective way for navigating the current world of rapidly accelerating unexpected change. We talk about the illusion that keeps us from seeing things as they are, why cultivating a flux mindset now is more important than ever before, and some of the superpowers that can empower you when responding to change and making decisions. Please excuse the background noise. There is still construction happening right outside my office window. Enjoy the episode. April, I am so happy to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you, Michelle. I am thrilled to be here. Mm. Before we begin, I do want to give a shout out to David Nabinsky for putting mm. us in a breakout room so that we could have an awesome conversation about how is it that people relate to these things that normally strike so much angst, change, mm. and decision-making. And so, David, if you're listening, thank you for being awesome and putting awesome people in, in touch with one another. And I echo that gratitude, David. Good human. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Good humans. Oh, I'm struggling to know where to start because we had totally launched into fun conversation before we mm -hmm. hit record. But I guess a good place to start maybe would be, how is it that you even started down this path of thinking about flux and change and how we relate to such things? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question to start. It <laughs> sort of opens quite a few avenues that we can explore together. And it's interesting. I always have to give the caveat these days that people are like, oh, Lux, you wrote this book about change and uncertainty and like, welcome to my world. Welcome to 2020 onwards. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, absolutely. I was working on this for a long time before that. Right. Um, your TED talk came out before the pandemic started. <laughs> exactly. And I, I joke that the book itself was the better part of three years of active writing and several years before that of framing and all that, but really more like three decades in the actual creation, when I go back and realize, when did I get interested in this world of change and uncertainty? What do you do when you don't know what to do? 
what do you do when whatever future you thought you were going to have kind of disappears? And that can happen for all kinds of reasons, personal, professional, family, right? And so basically, I like to just sort of give the intro that the, the three main lenses that I try to bring to change and uncertainty are first is, and then the second one is, is that of a global citizen or just a global lens on change. And so mm-hmm. in this regard, I've traveled quite a bit, I've worked quite a bit, sort of more than a hundred countries of direct exposure. And what that has taught me, that's not mm-hmm. to toot my own horn, it's just to say, what I've learned is that every culture and society on the planet throughout human history has also struggled with change, yeah. but is also, found or created new ways of talking about it, seeing it, navigating through it, concepts, rituals, traditions, like it's a, con- mm. it's part of the human condition. And here there's just so much we can learn from one another if we can connect those dots. But most of us are living in our own little, I'll call them si- cultural silos. Like we, we know how we deal with change right around us. Mm-hmm. That's just a fraction of what human wisdom can offer. So that's the second piece. And then last but not least, it really is like, I started getting interested in this because of my own lived experience, my own human story with change and uncertainty. And there the, the story, the, the genesis, the seed is really when I was in college uh, more than 25 years ago. So I'm dating myself here. But when I was in college, my junior year of college, both of my parents died in a car accident. And I was halfway around the world and I got this phone call of the proverbial, are you sitting down, right? And and I was 20. My life just kind of changed. And I'm not saying good or bad. I mean, I love talking about it. I know I just inserted a kind of difficult topic in the conversation, mm-hmm. but it's really where my journey begins. And also what's fascinating is I never would have imagined that I'd be sharing that experience with a lot of people many years later. I would not have imagined the collective anxiety we feel in 2022. I would not have imagined the last two years. You know, There's a kind of zeitgeist as well. But mm-hmm. I bring that up because it's fundamentally about the human relationships and emotions and quirks that we have about change that got me interested in it. But then ever since, and I've just been layering other perspectives, other disciplines, other experiences on that, and obviously doing a lot of research and observing and talking to others. Mm. Like, I I love what you just shared, because I think the thing that I'm taking away here is that change is something that all humans have to engage with. And it's a very human thing, because we have that ability to also think about how we're thinking about change as opposed to others in the animal kingdom. But, you know, the piece around human story, your own personal story, how we see it play out in cultures that even predate, you know, those about the ones that exist today. And then also how it plays out in organizations. There's just so many different layers, but you hit on, on something that I think is what, what made me know when we were in a breakout room together on zoom, like, Oh, (laughs) you are my people because you named the emotions that come up mm-hmm. and that that there is something there. It's not something to put away in a box and lock away, but something yeah. worth looking at. And it's oh. actually where it's it's where this begins. And we spend so much time figuring out, thinking about, talking about what to do mm-hmm. about change, what action are we gonna take, how are we gonna react? What's that thing? What's the action? And that's fine. Like I was saying earlier, like you often do need to take some kind of action. Sometimes you actually, the best thing you can do is just 
sit still and wait for whatever change is, you know, Mm. hang on to see what's going to actually play out. But the fact is we just focus on the doing. Mm. And yet so much of the kind of change that we struggle with most, it's all about who do we want to be? Who do we want to become? How do we feel about this change? And I always joke, I'm, I'm walking a fine line between, you know, very much business strategy, change, change management, we can talk about later. I actually <laughs> got so fed up with conversations about change management, which has led, continued to lead me more towards the mindset end of things. But I, I often joke like this isn't, it's not a therapy session, but it can be very therapeutic because I'm walking this fine line between business and strategy, but also I don't want to call it self-help, but self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And that is where this all begins. And yes. even going back to the emotions, if there's any one question that frames, and I wouldn't have said this 10 years ago, it's one of those things like talking to people where you just, it's just this consistent, very robust thread. If there's any one question that defines how we relate to change more, it is, are you seeing any given change? And again, personal, professional, organizational, civilizational, <laughs> we've got a lot of flux these days. Are you seeing a given change from a place of hope or fear? Hope or fear. And we can add into that, you know, Mm. excitement, enthusiasm, anxiety, you know, but hope Mm. or fear. We do not talk about that. We do not ask that question very often. And yet it shapes and colors and determines so much else. It determines Mm -hmm. whatever. I can assure you that if you're setting strategy, is and and you're just talking about how do we set the strategy and you don't right. know if you or the other people around the table are coming from a place of hope or fear i can assure you that you're not going to set the best strategy you're not even <laughs> a, no right it yeah. and and so that's what i'm trying to help people course correct and do again in their personal mm-hmm. lives and their professional lives and teams you name it but yeah right. the emotions you know i'm not and i'm not into the i'm not really into the woo woo but mm-hmm. you realize the human there's data there like, Exactly. Right. Yeah. Like one of yeah. the things that, that I talk about in decision making is how the the emotions that are at play point to things that are important to consider in the decision making. And so when you talk about are you are you viewing something from hope or fear, you know, whether you're holding hope or fear will inform, okay, what are the objectives that you are holding and prioritizing or what are the set of options that you may be looking at and considering and so yeah. I think there's something real there even though it yeah. it's related to emotions that has an impact on business and these these other realms that may not be used to talking about the feelings yeah and if I can riff on that a little mm-hmm. bit also it's it's sort of a, a related theme or or lens that we can turn on this concept and that's that this very same change might make you feel hopeful and me feel fearful. Mm. The very same change mm-hmm. might be easy for you and really hard for me. And what's fascinating is that change, like it's one word. We <laughs> treat it like one thing, like it's all the same. It's like, no, change is messy. It's confusing. Um, I like to say that we love it and we hate it. And <laughs> I often meet people and they're like, wait a minute. I love change. I'm a change junkie, right? And I'm like, okay, (laughs) hold on a minute, time out. Let me just, let me add something here. Yes, you, me, most humans love changes we can opt into. We love changes we can control in some way, right? So you Mm -hmm. think about everything from getting a new job, a new relationship, a new haircut, a new adventure, like those are all changes and we love them. Me too, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But 
most humans, including myself, I always say I'm exhibit A for a lot of these topics. We really struggle with changes we don't control. And that could be because it blindsides you on a random afternoon. It goes against your expectations. It disrupts your plans. The last two years, I've seen a lot of that kind of change. Like, I haven't met a single human, like, correct me, send me this person or tell me if it's you. But like, any human who's like, whoa, that just sideswiped me. I loved it. They're like, no, mm. like we, <laughs> you might be able to get there, but you don't start there. And my concern, and again, a piece of the, the seed of the book is that there's more of that kind of change ahead. There's more of the change we can opt into do, but there's definitely more of this change that you had no control over, you didn't see coming. Right. And so we could all use some help. But I bring that out because like the messiness of change, like what kind of change are we talking about? <laughs> part of change is really easy. That's not the part I'm talking about. That's not <laughs> the part that gets us in trouble. Right. Oh, you know, this, this piece that you brought up around just the, the discomfort around not being in control reminds me of something you were talking about, I think, in, in a separate talk about how we're heading toward that type of future, where less is going to be in our control. And we're, we've already been moving away from a fixed world that may not have had so much change, or at least at the pace we see today, to one that is more in flux. And so tell me more about why, why this is the conversation we need to have at this point in time. Yeah. And, and, and I always like to frame this backdrop, if you will, like, Mm -hmm. and it sounds a bit trite these days, change is universal. The only constant is change. Like we all, we kind of know that at this point, but this whole notion that we have, and I think in particular in modern history, that we've been brought up, socialized, taught, told, who knows, it comes from lots of different forces, that the world is somehow predictable and controllable by humans. Mm-hmm. And we've been on this path for quite a while. And technology drives that narrative too, of like the more apps we have in our hands, the more devices mm-hmm. we have access the to. More we have, the more data we have. Precisely. And there are some things, like little changes, like, oh, you know, there's a traffic accident. My technology can help reroute me. That's a change. Okay, I grant you that sort of thing. But when we start looking at very much the, certainly the existential changes, the bigger changes around life and death and society and tolerance and trust and all this stuff, it's like, whoa, (laughs) no, technology is not the be all end all, but Mm -hmm. also that a lot of what we've been taught is a kind of illusion. Mm. This illusion, I think, of certainty, this illusion yeah. of control. We've always wanted it because it's what makes us feel safe and stable. And mm. my goal is not to like unsettle people. It's just to say, hold on a minute. We've all had a kind of veil over our eyes for a while. Mm-hmm. And huh, it's been yanked off a little bit, torn a little bit here and there in the last few years, I think in yeah. particular. But the reality is it was always that way. We just manage to kind of delude ourselves a little bit better and moving forward the future is more unstable it is more uncertain it is more unknown but that's not a reason for fear unless your only belief is that we have to predict and control and 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 have you know full domain over it this this moment in time that we're in there's just this huge opening 
-hmm. there's this huge kind of awake awakening, maybe a little bit of an overstatement, but this, you can tell that new oxygen is being breathed into a whole bunch of new opportunities and ways of seeing and ways of being and ways of showing up. And none of that would be possible if we believe that everything was predictable and controllable. So I, I feel like mm-hmm. we are in, in this broader flux too, in which I think particularly the whole certainty we can predict and control. If you do the research, a lot of that does begin, and, and I'm generalizing a bit here, but yeah. roughly, not surprisingly, first industrial revolution, mm-hmm. right? And you have this sort of mass, like all of a sudden we can build companies that are bigger and bigger. We can create products that reach more and more people. And you see some themes, some trends kind of moving in lockstep. You Mm -hmm. see the advent of modern consumerism, which is not a theme in my work, but like (laughs) that starts to play out. Technology as a kind of savior starts to play out, but also this belief that, that humans can control almost anything that happens to us. And so I feel like there's a kind of reset, a level set around that where the stuff that really, really matters, no, we can't predict it. We can prepare for lots of different things that could happen to us, but let's get out of our own way and stop believing that we are somehow the the be all end all. I know this sounds (laughs) sounds a little bit hokey, but recently with the web telescope images that were coming through too, Mm -hmm. you're like, Hello. It, that, there's a different kind of level set there too, where you're like, and we thought we were the center of what? Um, <laughs> on, right? Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Uh, well, I, I'm what I love about you just calling out this myth and this illusion is that we can opt into whether we want to keep the veil on or lift it off and see and play with yeah. what would be different if we engaged with a different mindset. Right. Like if, if we didn't believe, uh, like, I like to say that at least in decision-making, good decision-making is not about clairvoyance. It's about feeling empowered to meet the moment and meet whatever may come with a new decision. Love that. Well said. Well said. (laughs) And well, I talk a lot about too, like certainty, certainty is elusive. Like it always Mm. has been like this, this notion. (laughs) And granted, there are a few things I joke. There are a few things in life, like the laws of physics, pretty close to certainty kind of sorta one plus one as far as we know will continue to equal two like small like there are things like that but that's a fraction of what life is about and even people who are in a place of relative stability these days or or feel like they're quite like capable everybody is going to encounter an experience in life that knocks you sideways and I hate to sound morbid but like if nothing else death okay (laughs) but (laughs) Short of that, and this that situation in which having clairvoyance, having some kind of mystical ability to see all, you're going to be whacked in the face that that's not how it works. And mm-hmm. to have to face that reality in the moment is usually pretty painful. It's one of those mm-hmm. things like if you do the preparation beforehand, if you think about these things and overcome those phobias and quirks, you can do that when times are calm, which prepares you for times of crisis. And even in that, in that light, I've had quite a few conversations recently around people saying, well, yeah, I get flux and change, whatever they're like, but, but look at the last two years, look at how much we've grown and how much we've adapted. Mm -hmm. And like, we've done such a good job. And I'm like, yes, in fairness, much of humanity has learned to do things we didn't think we could do three years ago. Awesome. But keep in mind that we did that with our backs against the wall. 
We did that when we had no choice. We did that many times. It was like survival, right? Yeah. And so I'm always like, sure, we can do that. But I would argue, why don't we learn the skills and tools to do that when it's not so painful in times of peace and stability? I mean, that's when you mm -hmm. want to be doing this kind of preparation so right. that when it's crisis or uncertainty of many different flavors, you you're already ready have for muscle it. memory. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It is training that mental muscle. Right. Yeah. So let's let's double click into this mental muscle because I think you alluded to it before yeah, when you yeah. talked about are you seeing things from a place of hope or fear? Mm -hmm. But tell me more about what is this muscle or this mindset that can better prepare us for inevitable changes that we can't control. Yeah. Ahead. So this is what I call my 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 small contribution, my small solution to some of this, you know, messiness that I was talking about earlier, it is what I call a flux mindset. And mm -hmm. going back to where I was talking about the different kinds of change, a flux mindset is the state of mind that can see all change. So I mean, the good and the bad, mm -hmm. unexpected and expected, but especially that hard stuff the stuff you didn't see coming, the stuff you just wish would go away. It's the ability to see all of it as an opportunity to learn and to grow and to improve and to do that consistently over time. So I sometimes call it, it's an attitude of, to some degree, abundance, but also optimism, not naive optimism, but it's grounded in the wisdom of what is and is not, the wisdom of the veil coming off what is mm -hmm. and is not, what we can and can't control. Yeah. And at the end of the day, what really matters? Because mm -hmm. we're getting distracted in a lot of different ways and a lot of different threads about things that don't really matter at the end of the day. But that's what it is. And maybe just a quick side note, I yeah. often get the question, how does a flux mindset relate to a growth mindset? Mm. And, and I love that too, because I'm a huge fan of growth mindsets. And I'm guessing many of your listeners and viewers will be familiar with a growth mindset. And they're related. And I like to think that the flux mindset builds upon the, the canon and the concept of a growth mindset. So the growth mindset concept was founded by Stanford psychologist, Carol Dweck, about yep. 30 years ago, focuses primarily on children and how they learn. And the, the basic concept is that, you know, our state of mind is neither predetermined nor fixed at birth. We will continue to evolve and adapt and grow over time. Its insights are phenomenal, but it doesn't really address though is how we deal with constant change and uncertainty so mm. back to what we were talking about earlier do you see change from a place of hope or fear do you expect things to go to plan and then get anxious or unravel when they don't mm. that's where a flux mindset comes in but it necessarily relies on and is grounded in the belief that our mindset can grow and evolve over time but it takes it kind of to a Think of it as vitamins for <laughs> a growth mindset. Yeah. yeah. Mm, okay. And so, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about were some of the superpowers that mm -hmm. you talk about that fall under this mindset. Yeah. So, so let me give a little bit of context, the relationship yeah. between the mindset and superpowers, and then we can dive oh, yeah. into that one. So yeah, the, the first step I was saying, like the first thing you need to do to like start figuring out how do we train this mental muscle and thrive in a world in flux is to open a flux mindset. And when I say open mm. a flux mindset, I simply mean acknowledge that your relationship to change can improve and start looking at, again, when I say all change, I mean literally all change. Even the stuff you just 
just don't even want to acknowledge it's happening, can you still see it as a opportunity for growth? The second step though, is to use your flux mindset. Once you have a sense of what that looks like, and again, everyone's is different. Everyone has unique life experiences, but we all have one. Yeah. Use your flux mindset to unlock and develop the eight flux superpowers. And I joke, okay. not, not joke, but I, I say that these are, this is the how to, because people say, okay, I have, a, okay. I have a flux mindset is open. Now, what do I do? Like, mm. give me some skills, give me some tools, give me some practices. And that's what these eight superpowers are. And I always have to give the caveat that like, they're all counterintuitive. A lot of them go against what we've been taught. And that's because a lot of what we've been taught assumes that the world is neat and orderly and tidy and predictable. And I'm (laughs) saying, actually, it's not. Also, just a quick context setting detail is that the superpowers are a menu, not a syllabus. Mm. And what I mean by that is you do not have to study one before two or two before three. You can, you can practice just one, you can look at, and I just say, follow your curiosity. Because yeah. it, that's exactly it. They do enhance one another. Like when you practice one, you start seeing the others in a more holistic light, but you don't have to, there aren't any gating factors. And I even joke with people that in my book, there are eight chapters, eight superpowers. You can read the book backwards and it keeps its integrity. <laughs> but this notion of curiosity and what I encourage people to do is thus far, in the vast majority of cases, there's likely to be one or more, hopefully more, at least one superpower that like piques your interest. They're like, ooh, yeah, I, I could use that. And there's probably going to be at least one that either makes you cringe or makes you go like, what? Like, that's just completely not what I was taught. That's not what I believe. And I always love when that happens because it's like a signal of where your relationship to change might need a little extra attention. Mm-hmm. It's a signal for where to start. So one of these eight is know your enough. And I can run through all eight if you'd like, but we can, do you want me to do that? Actually, yeah, go ahead. Okay, Okay. I can do it. I can do each of these in a sentence or less. So So in the order in which they appear in the book, the first superpower is run slower. (laughs) Like what? (laughs) That's not what I was taught. So there you go counterintuitiveness, but this is about not just anxiety and burnout, but this is all about how do we make wiser decisions? You cannot make a wise decision if you are running hundred miles an hour with your hair on butt. can't mm-hmm. happen. And that's a lot of how we're living our lives these days. Yeah. The second one is, it's funny when I think about it, all of them have implications for decision-making. Which is but, why um, you're, here. Yeah. you're here. But in different ways. So that's what run floor is the first one. The second one is see what's invisible. This is all about identifying our blind spots, but also discovering new insights, new sources of value, new opportunities, that sort of thing. The third one is get lost. This is all about stretching beyond our comfort zone and our relationship to the unknown. Hmm. So if you think of it for decision-making, a lot of times when we're in unknown territory, we we freeze, we don't make a decision. Right. And then often come to regret that later. But this is about our comfort with actually being celebrating being lost, not as a flaw, but actually Mm -hmm. as a strength. The fourth one is start with trust. So this is all about nurturing relationships and navigating change together. Mm -hmm. And I will also just say, if there's any one superpower that's like plays an outsized role, trust. When it comes to navigating change well over time, nothing matters more than trust. 
And that's trust in others, trust in yourself, trust in that the sun will rise tomorrow kind of thing. So that one gets really, really rich and really complex really fast. The fifth one is know you're enough. So I'll come back Mm -hmm. to this in a minute. I'll hold on for a moment. So I'll come back to it. The sixth one is create your portfolio career. This is unique in that it's really geared towards the future of work that's in flux. And this is about Mm -hmm. how do you think about the shape of your career and how do you design and own a career that is fit for a future of work that is in flux. And so the punchline is it's not a career ladder. It's not a path to pursue. It's much more like a portfolio to curate like an artist or an investor would, which is how you and I originally met. The seventh one is be all the more human. This is all about our relationship to technology and the tension we face in that we're spending ever more time with our devices, but ever Mm -hmm. less time with one another. And the last one is the one that if none of these have made you cringe thus far, this one (laughs) usually does. It's called let go of the future. And Mm. people say like, how can a futurist even say that? (laughs) This, This is all about our relationship to control. Yeah. And what I mean, think of this as letting go of our obsession, just as we were talking about before, our obsession with wanting to predict and control, quote unquote, the future, because there is no one future. There, mm-hmm. there isn't. It's a figment of our imagination. By the time a future arrives, it's the present. There is no one future, but there are many different possible futures that we're all contributing to every day. And so mm-hmm. are you contributing to the kinds of futures that you'd like to see? So that's all eight. Um, should I go ahead and tuck in a little bit to know your Yes. Name? Well, I mean, okay. thank you for giving yeah. that overview because I already know some of the ones that I, I hope you can dig into. One is yeah. the knowing you're enough. Another is that the getting lost, like that yeah. embracing being yeah. with the unknown. And then yes, coming back to the letting go of the future. Super. I love this because too, I, I was preparing for our conversation today and I was like, oh, yeah, they do relate to decision-making, but even our conversation thus far, I'm like, oh man, they all do, but in ways, and this is one of the things I love about what I get to do. Like I'm learning right now. I'm like, like you're adding this lens that I go, oh yeah, I need to, I need to pull on that thread a little bit more and it could help more people in different ways. So mm-hmm. thank you, Michelle. <laughs> so back to know you're enough. So this one, <laughs> is all about our obsession with more. Yes. More, 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 more. And, and also our quest for true happiness. Yeah. Mm, well, I mean, I, I wanted to provide context as to why yeah. I am asking about this one first, because I'm teaching a class on decision-making and this one this one gets people. They're like, wait, but I want to find the best or want to pursue more. And we talk about like satisficers versus maximizers from Barry Schwartz's book and- it's a hard one for people to let go of. So I wanted, figured you could shine a light on what you've seen and, and why it's worth it. <laughs> yes. And I want to be really clear. I am not saying that more is bad. I am not saying that more is unreachable. I'm not saying, mm-hmm. I'm not judging more at all. What I'm saying is our obsession with more is making us sick, making us miserable. And yeah. for me, all of the backdrop is, what happens when change hits? Mm. When you are an after and always after ever more lifestyle, mentality, you name it, you have a much, much, much harder time adapting and pivoting and responding to change. There you go. Mm. Now, coming back though, to sort of the, the, the narrative in, the story in, 
more has always existed, the concept of more, right? Now, for most of human history, we have always focused on enough. This obsession mm -hmm. with more is a very recent phenomenon, also going back roughly, not just to the first industrial revolution, but in particular, the advent of consumer mass marketing, which mm -hmm. is only about 100 years old. The 1920s is when it really got underway, thanks to this guy named Edward Bernays. Whole other story. Talk about that later if you want. He trained with Freud and used a lot of psychology to basically, it's a lot of the science around addiction. Hmm. But put that aside, when I say more, a lot of people, when we think about more, 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 it's like more money. That's a big one for people. But it's not just money and it's not just power. Mm -hmm. We're living in a world today where not only the assumption that more is better, now we'll come back to like, where does that come from? But more likes, more clicks, mm -hmm. more clothes, more car, more, more everything, like mm -hmm. on every metric. And that is what's making us sick because what I'm here to say, feeling a little bit of my own thunder, is that more does not make you better. You are actually already enough. And every human is already enough. And mm. the messaging we're getting is making, we are making ourselves. And when I say sick, I mean, physically to some degree, emotionally, mentally, mm -hmm. and both, both economics and psychology are at play here. So in a hyper-consumer world like we're in today, yeah. the goal of consumer-driven companies is to get us to buy more stuff. That's how they succeed. That's yeah. how the economy and what we're told, <laughs> I mean, the, the classic case is 9-11 happens. And what are we told to do? We're told to go shopping. Wait, what? Yeah, our role is to keep the consumer economy humming along. Oh, that's a whole other, we get into the, uh, the <laughs> etymology of economy and all the rest. But what's happening is that we've now found ourselves in a situation in which we believe, thanks to social media, thanks to the goals of consumerism, mm -hmm. we believe, many people, I would say, believe that they'll never have enough, do enough, earn enough, mm -hmm. and most most disconcerting, they'll never be enough. Only if they buy that product or that service will they be successful, beautiful, whatever. And it's like, wait a minute, how did this happen? Each and every human, from the day, the moment you're born, you are already enough and you don't need anything to become someone, you know, th mm. that sense of striving to be somebody that you're not. No, you're fine as you are. Mm. So it's a different take on, you know, is more, well, we can also be really clear when we say more, what kind of more are we talking about? What kind mm. of growth, who benefits that sort of thing comes into yeah. play as well, because you know, more CO2 emissions, not better, more traffic congested streets, not better. More, you right. know, and yet we have this, again, this script running mm -hmm. in our head, this program. And so that's what we start to get into because what you discover from the perspective of change also is that always after evermore it is exhausting mm -hmm. it is expensive and it kind of clogs your brain from thinking about other things that might actually matter and then mm -hmm. when change hits the more and here you can think about a lifestyle change a business change if you're more 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 you have a lot more that you have to actually rework <laughs> you have um, a lot more you see what i'm saying yeah versus and I, I joke, it sounds a little bit trite, but I can assure you that knowing you're enough 
maintaining your enough, appreciating and enjoying your enough is way closer within reach. It's way easier to do. It costs a lot less money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So people often find that we take it for granted that more, 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 because it's just, we're surrounded by it. And I, I do some talks also with universities, young people of all the eight superpowers, this is probably the most popular among young people because the number of youth by the age of adolescence, they've already adopted the I will never be enough. And mm. one fi final riff on this in the book, the, the title is know, know you're enough, Y-O-U-R. People are mm. like, is that a typo? I'm like, no, knowing you're enough is your point of balance, harmony, sufficiency, right? That mm -hmm. balance, not too much, not too little, but mm -hmm. it includes knowing that you are enough yeah. just as you are. So it's both mm -hmm. your and your little play Got on it. words. Right. Because knowing you're enough, like with the apostrophe, mm -hmm. enables people to be just more well-resourced to yeah. be able to face change. And then knowing you're enough, like what is the enough, creates a more realistic equilibrium point to to return to versus the the slippery slope of evermore bingo like bingo and mm. kind of what we were talking about earlier the internal relationship to change is the knowing you are enough right and then that translates into a what is your enough your your point of contentment satisfaction sufficiency mm -hmm. yeah. yeah which doesn't preclude striving for more you know more dignity more mm -hmm. integrity it's interesting humans modern day humans certainly in the u.s we tend to be kind of over-indexed on stuff, like we just have too much of it, but we're under-indexed on a lot of this humanity stuff. Mm. We have too much in our closet, but we don't have enough integrity in our lives. We yeah. have, you know, and so you start doing that kind of calibration. There's a fun exercise we'll do around your enoughness. What do you, in your life, what do you have too much of? What do you have too little of? So that's a, that's another mm. conversation for another day, but yeah. yeah. I'm looking at the time. Like, oh yeah. my gosh. I mean, I feel like we could probably chat and riff for for hours. But I did want to get to the piece around, you know, I work with so many people who have a fraught relationship with the unknown and uncertainty of the future. And so I'm curious what what insights and what wisdom would you want to share with yeah. folks who who resonate with that? Well, and my first disclosure is like that, that has been me for much of my life as well. You yeah. know, like I get it. It's part, and there's a piece of it that is part of the human condition. Blah, blah, blah. Right. We can talk mm -hmm. about that, but then there's also this sense of like, and if it doesn't align with where the world is heading, I don't want to just write it off as well. That's just what it's like to be human. It's like, we could mm -hmm. do better. Yeah. But again, I want us to set this in a social and cultural historical in context. When we hear something like getting lost, the phrase itself has a bit of a stigma. Mm -hmm. If you got lost, you screwed up. You did something wrong. You were stupid. You were foolish. How could you possibly get lost? It's kind of a bummer because you're sort of putting yourself at a deficit from the get-go. We mm -hmm. also often equate getting lost with some kind of loss. I'm lesser than for getting lost. And yet again, you can look at this from the perspective of but candidly, the whole experience of being human is one giant exercise in being lost. <laughs> right. So like, 
Can we just get out of our own way and learn to appreciate that? But more and, and kind of the, the piece about change in a world in flux is this sense of we have to shift this from seeing it. Getting lost is not a failure. It's not a mistake. It's not a problem at all, actually. And the examples I often like to use are, think about when you got lost on a trip. You were traveling somewhere, you got lost. Oops, what generally ends up happening? You make a new discovery. You discover, you go somewhere you didn't expect and it often ends up being like one of your favorite memories of the trip. If you look at innovation, inventions, mm -hmm. creativity, <laughs> those would not often have happened at all without being lost. So we can, uh, mm. we can see our way to like, oh yeah, there's some good qualities of getting lost, okay. But then where I wanna get us to ultimately is to see not just getting lost and being lost, but actively seeking to get lost and embracing mm. that notion of having no idea necessarily where you are, not really knowing how things are going to turn out. And I'm not talking about irresponsible, just like throwing it all of the wind. I'm saying mm -hmm. when it happens of like, I do not know what to do. I do not know where I am. I do not know what you could say decision to make to realize in that moment that you are developing that superpower. Mm -hmm. And the people who respond best to any kind of flux, right? Whether it's pandemic or workplace or family or health or you name it, are the people who can be, who are able to embrace and in, even enjoy that mm -hmm. feeling of having no clue where they are. Because that too, just like everything in life, it's not going to last forever. Yeah. But to be suspended in that not knowing, it is a temporary transition, a temporary flux that mm -hmm. sometimes can feel like it's lasting a lifetime. But the fact is that is the moment when growth is happening. That is the moment when new insights happen. That is the mm -hmm. moment when, you know, becoming that sense of, what do you do versus who do you, who are you and who do you want to become that that yeah. becoming starts to happen. Mm -hmm. And so again, part of it is a, a ling you could talk about it on the <laughs> surface as a linguistic shift, but seeing we've, we treat getting lost so much as a, a problem, right. a stigma, a deficit, mm -hmm. and it's totally the opposite. And the people, if you look around at the people who are good at getting lost and just sort of hanging with it and being like, we don't know, but we're going to stay in it and get through it and we're not going to fuss too much that it has to be scenario or outcome x not y we're just going to get through it and stay and stay aware and again feeding back to some of the other superpowers mm -hmm. that seeing what's invisible we're going to have our peripheral vision as wide as it can possibly be right. we're going to be working with others who can show up with good intent you know all of that that all of a sudden getting lost actually people start to actively seek it out it becomes a source of joy as opposed to a source of, again, anxiety or fear. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, as, as we start <sighs> to wrap things up yeah. here, what is it that you would want to leave my listeners with? Mm. If there's anything that you want to make sure they're taking away. Yeah, well, the short suggestion is that when everything is in flux, everything, and I would say almost everything is in flux today. The, the, the easier question is what's not in flux? It's a pretty mm -hmm. short list. But when almost everything is in flux today, everything can benefit from this flux mindset and these flux superpowers. And what I really love is that from a decision-making 
perspective with that as the goal that each of the superpowers can lend context and again, vitamins Mm -hmm. to that process. But these are specifically around decisions when you don't know what to do, when whatever you thought was going to happen changed. Yeah. (laughs) And so, so that's really it. And, and what I love is take of it, make it yours, make of it what you will, because each person is deals with change in a different way. And so I'm trying to make these ideas as accessible to everyone on their terms as I can. So I hope we've painted a bit of that canvas together today. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending your afternoon with me riffing about change and decision-making and uncertainty and possibility. Because I think there's, there's a lot that can be untapped when we're able to shift this relationship that we have with change, uncertainty, decision-making to one where we feel more capable. I think yep. it just, it allows us to, to paint a more vivid picture of the possibilities of the future, encourages us to, to think of what might be possible, not just for ourselves, but the systems within which we are connected. And yeah. it makes yeah. me hopeful. <laughs> it, and this is, mine is a, a fundamentally hopeful message. It doesn't mean that change is easy or that change is going to end. No, but there's such an, a huge opportunity. And even in the not knowing, there's mm-hmm. huge opportunity right there. And that's a different kind of letting go. But when we let go of what we think is going to happen or believe has to happen, we actually open ourselves up to a new universe of what could happen, which includes outcomes and decisions beyond our wildest dreams. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, yeah, fires me up. And yeah, none of this takes any kind of technology or money that someone may or may not have. Like it's the, the, the bonus in all of this is getting to know yourself so much better, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a benefit, not just for you and every day for the rest of your life, but everyone that you touch and care about. And, you know, a lot of this, I talk to a lot of parents too, and it's like, your kids, like, this is a really good thing to do together. Yeah. So anyway. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you heard something today that you found helpful, please share this episode or write a review. Also, if you're interested in more resources on how to make decisions with less stress and more clarity, like my quick start guide for untangling big decisions, or the decision-making courses I teach, check out the show notes or go to askadecisionengineer.com to sign up for the mailing list. This episode concludes this season and the podcast will be on break until 2023. If you haven't already, check out past episodes from this season or some of the previous seasons. Season four focused on interviews with experts. Season three was all about emotions in decision-making. Season two is where I teach you quick tips and strategies for working through a big decision. And season one is where this all started. Again, this is Michelle Florendo from Ask a Decision Engineer. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next season.